scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter. We'll commence in verse 43 and culminate with verse 48. And it reads, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. You may be seated. As you know, we are uh, in the middle of our Insight Weekend. I want to take this opportunity to, uh, to, to thank and to show gratitude uh, to Douglas Brown and his Adult Education Committee. We're really grateful for the work that they do. Thank you, Douglas. As you know, uh, this year we have uh, done something a little bit different. Instead of looking at a particular book of the Old Testament or New Testament, we're looking at spiritual disciplines. We're looking at those, those disciplines, those, those practices, those, those uh, pieces of wisdom that we find in the Bible to help us not only grow closer to God, but to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And we have with us this morning and this afternoon, we want to invite everyone to come back at 3 o'clock this afternoon. We'll be on the other side of the campus in the Fellowship Hall. We'll have two final sessions this afternoon. But we are pleased to, uh, to have Dr. Chris Altrock, a preaching minister for the Highland Church of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee, to be our speaker. He is, um, he is absolutely gifted, I think, in speaking about this way of living as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're going to ask Chris to come over. We're going to give him uh, as much time as he needs to speak to us this morning. But before he, do, he does, let's bow our heads and join our hearts in prayer. Father, we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we, as your people, Father, choose to do this even more profoundly and deeply. And we are grateful for your servant in all of the ways that you have prepared his life to teach and to speak and to help disciples of Jesus to learn how to live with eternity in their hearts right now. And so we're asking you, Father, to bless our brother, your servant, Chris. And we're asking you to bless us, Father, with eyes that see and ears that hear. And we ask all of this in the name of our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you might... Turn to Matthew chapter 5, whether it's a physical Bible or a digital Bible, that's where we'll be this morning. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm so thankful for Mark and Doug and many others here. Uh, I, I know of this church to be a, a healthy church that cares about the community and that loves God, and I'm, I'm grateful for your presence in this city. Uh, my coworker Eric has roots here. Uh, I think probably 90% of you have come up and said, you work with Eric, don't you? I love Eric. He's one of my favorite. And so I've, I've passed along all those uh, things back to Eric, even 
uh, this morning. Eric and I were, were texting about that. So thank you so much for the invitation to be with you, and I hope that what I have to share with you today in this time is beneficial for you. We're just going to take a few minutes to talk about a spiritual discipline that probably many of you already practice, and so you're, you're already engaged in it. What I hope to do is to sharpen it, to fuel it, to drive it, and uh, maybe to provide another perspective on it, and that is the discipline of intercession, praying for other people. Raise your hand if you ever pray for another person during a typical week. Yeah, a lot of us are practicing this spiritual discipline. You may have never called it a spiritual discipline, but that's what it is. God uses it to shape you and form you into a particular kind of person. A while back, I was talking with a ministry friend of mine, and he mentioned a family member of his. Now, this family member was a church-going man. He was a God-fearing man. He probably would have been sitting in these pews this morning. And this conversation was taking place not long after there had been some killings in Paris by some by a fundamentalist group. And the family friend had posted uh, some things online that had troubled my ministry friend. And what the family friend had posted online, unfortunately, was this. Is anyone else sick of these stupid Muslims? Why don't these stupid Muslims just go back to the Middle East? And my friend was just grief-stricken about what this person had posted online. And he said, you know, that may not be the most appropriate way to respond to these killings in Paris. After all, he said, what about Jesus' words? Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Thinking that quoting Scripture would probably handle it, he was shocked when the family friend replied something like this. Well, you've got your way, and I've got mine. You've got your way of dealing with people that are difficult to love, and I've got mine. That may have been good for Jesus, but I'm not so sure it's good for me. And yet, as we just heard in the text that was read for us this morning, Jesus does raise the bar for the people of God sky high when it comes to this arrow right here. Can anybody tell me what this arrow is for? Love people. What, what we're doing here is not just this arrow. What's this arrow? Love God. What we're also doing here is loving people. And when we do that, what happens? We change the world. Jesus believes that is especially true when it comes to people that are difficult to love. And so Jesus says there in verses 43 and 44, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There are about five times here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus stops and He says, Now you have heard that it was said... And then he quotes a scripture, but I say to you, about five times, meaning that these are people familiar with the Bible, they're church-going, God-fearing people, they can quote scripture, but they've missed 
the point of Scripture. And so Jesus says, now you've heard that it was said, Scripture, but let me clear that up for you. Because here's, here's what God actually meant by that. So here Jesus quotes the text from Leviticus 19. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. But he also adds something to that. And hate your enemy. Now you can scour your Bible, you can punch it into your concordance and software, and you're not going to find that anywhere in your Bible. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So where did Jesus pull that out of? Well, he pulled it out of what seemed to be the contemporary way of interpreting this Old Testament text, love your neighbor. Apparently, many of the people in Jesus' day, spiritual, religious people, believed that what God actually meant when he said love your neighbor was, well, love the people that are just like you. Love the people that sing all the same songs that you do. All their presets on the the radio are the same presets that yours are. They, they read the same Bible that you do. They go to the same worship service they do that you do. They, maybe they're part of your same Sunday school class. Your neighbor, well, that's the people that are, that are easy to love. They're the, the people that always have an encouraging word for you. They're the people that when you come up to them and say, can I just share what a bad day I've had? They're the people who always want to listen to it and, and always are sympathetic with you. Neighbor, well, that's the people who are easy to love. So what about everybody else? Because there's a lot of those everybody else in the world. What about them? It's okay to not love them. In other words, it's okay to hate them. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate everyone else. Apparently, for many people, these are religious people that Jesus is talking to, love was limited only to those who were easy to love. You only had to extend love to the people that were easy to love. People that never critique you. People that never stab you in the back. People that always do what you expect them to do. And everybody else, you're free to hate them. But Jesus believed that we were made for so much more than that as the people of God, as the community of God on earth. And so Jesus says, but I say to you. Here's what God really intended for his people here on earth. But I say to you, love your enemies. Don't just love the the poor and the needy. Don't just love the person who gave you the greatest Christmas gift Don't just love the person who always remembers your birthday. Love your enemies. Love the people who are the most difficult to love. Not long ago, I I saw this play out in the life of a man named Terry. I do some online discipleship groups, and Terry was a member of our group. Before our group came together, Terry's son had been killed by a drug-addicted young man who was driving his car and crashed into the car that Terry's son was driving. Just a tragic situation. It took a couple of years for the legal system to 
to move, but finally that drug-addicted young man was sent to jail for killing Terry's son. A little bit later, they got a call. The young man was up for a review, and Terry and his wife were asked to come and be present at that review. So they gave a lot of thought as to what they would say if they were asked to make a statement, what they would do if they were asked to do something. And so they brought a note for this young man who had killed their son. And on the note were written three simple words. We forgive you. We forgive you. The review was held, the note was passed, the young man was sent back to prison. And Terry, at the time that our discipleship group was going on, was making arrangements to go and visit the young man in prison because he wanted an opportunity to sit down face-to-face with him, to look him in the eyes and to tell him these three words, we forgive you. That's what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. A love that is so limitless that the father of a son who's been killed could look into the face of the one who killed his son and say, we forgive you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. So the question then is, well, how do you get from where I am today to where Terry was that day? I'm not sure I could do what Terry did, and I suspect that's true for many of you. How do you move from being sort of an average person who really has a hard time loving the unlovable to being a person like Terry? in his wife, whose love seems to have no bounds at all. In this short text, Jesus gives a clue to moving into a whole new way of experiencing people and expressing love. But I tell you the truth, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus is talking about here is what we would call intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is ultimately what allows us to move into a greater love for other people. Now, Jesus modeled this on several different occasions. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is being crucified. There's a criminal on his right. There's a criminal on his left. The soldiers are Uh, tempting him with this sour wine. The crowd around him is taunting him. Well, if he is Christ, the Son of God, his chosen one, let him save himself. Never in the history of humanity has there been a more unlovable group of people. And yet, what does Jesus do? Intercessory prayer. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' own heart was filled with such love that he expressed that in the form of intercessory prayer. He did that in the Gospel of John as well. In John chapter 13, we're told that that Jesus now shows the full extent 
of his love for his disciples. Well, what's he going to do? How, how is Jesus going to show the full extent of his love to his disciples? Well, John chapter 13, he gets down and he washes their feet. A concrete expression of showing the full extent of his love. But notice what else Jesus does here in the section. In John 17, Jesus engages in prayer. It's the longest prayer we have recorded from the lips of Jesus. And what kind of prayer is it? It's an intercessory prayer. Jesus praying for the whole church, all those who will come to believe in him, but Jesus also praying for these disciples. This ragtag group of disciples who've often disappointed him, who will betray him, Jesus lifts them up in prayer. Intercessory prayer. Philip Yancey, in his book, simply called Prayer, writes this, As Jesus once prayed for Peter, now he prays for us. In fact, the New Testament's only glimpse of what Jesus is doing right now depicts him at the right hand of God, interceding for us. In three years of active ministry, Jesus changed the moral landscape of the planet. For nearly 2,000 years since, he's been using another tactic. Prayer. It really does turn out that intercessory prayer is a way for us to be transformed into people who are capable of loving the unlovable. Jesus already had a heart that was full, so full of love for people that he could pray in this intercessory way for the unlovable. For us, it's almost just the opposite. We find our own hearts struggling to love those who are difficult to love. And yet, if we engage in the act of intercessory prayer for those difficult people, over time we'll find that our own hearts become filled with love for them. The more frequently you pray with someone with your lips, the more likely you will be to love them with your life. I can almost guarantee it. You try this. You experiment with this. You take the person who is keeping you up at night, who is causing you anxiety, who is causing your stomach to rumble, and you start praying in an intercessory way for them, not calling curses from heaven down on them, but praying intercessory prayers for them. And over time, you'll find that your own heart changes for them. The more frequently you pray for someone with your lips, the better able you will be to love them with your life. Richard Foster has a book simply called Prayer. And he talks about as we move away from just petition, which is praying for ourselves, to also intercession. He says that there is a shifting of our center of gravity from our own needs to the concerns of others. Our prayer lives tend to have a gravity to them. There's a pull in our prayer lives. And because most of us tend to major in petition, praying for our own needs, praying for ourselves, the center of gravity in our spiritual life tends to be us. Our concerns, our needs, our desires, our wants. But the more you practice intercessory prayer, the more you experience a shifting in that gravity. And no longer is everything around you, even your spiritual life, pulling toward 
your own needs, your own desires, your own wants. It's now pulling toward the needs, desires, wants, and wishes of the people around you. Marjorie Thompson, in her book, Soul Feast, says that intercession is the most concrete expression of the social dimension of prayer. When she talks about the social dimension of prayer, she's acknowledging that our spiritual lives, our our prayer lives, are intended not just to be about self, but about others. There's a social dimension to the spiritual life, that middle arrow right there. And intercession is the most concrete expression of it. Douglas Steer, who's quoted in her book, says, intercession is the most intensely social act that a human being is capable of. That's a remarkable statement. Think about all the social acts you do during a week, all the social acts this church engages in in a typical year. Most of us think about serving the poor or tutoring children in schools or helping those who are in the midst of crisis and grief. Those are tremendous social acts. But Douglas Steer, because of what we see in the life of Jesus, says, no, intercession is the most intensely social act we humans are capable of. To take the name of another person and lift it up before Almighty God is the greatest social act that you are capable of especially when it's the name of a person that is difficult to love. Again, Richard Foster in his book on prayer says, if we truly love people, we will, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. We desire to give love to those who are hard to love, but it is often not within our power to do so. Intercessory prayer becomes the way to connect with the supernatural power of God. As you lift that person's name up before God with your lips, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and soon you will become empowered to be the person who loves them with the rest of your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life to the Nazi regime. Before he did, as he strived to live out the values of Christ and called the people of God to live out the values of Christ in the midst of that difficult war and those turbulent times, he made many enemies, and many of them were Christians. Many Christians stood opposed to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and what he was attempting to do in calling the Christian community to respond with love and compassion and integrity. And so he writes about intercessory prayer. He says, a Christian community either lives by the intercessory prayers of its members for one another, or the community will be destroyed. I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. In intercessory prayer, the face that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of one for whom Christ died. The face of a pardoned sinner. That is a blessed discovery for the Christian who is beginning to offer intercessory prayer 
for others. And he concludes with these words. As far as we're concerned, there is no dislike, no personal tension, no disunity or strife that cannot become overcome by intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is the purifying bath into which the individual and the community must enter every day. There is no dislike in your life that cannot be overcome by intercessory prayer. If there is a difficult person in your life right now, your best first step is to start praying for them. And as you do, God will change your heart. Let me give just a a few quick tips on becoming a person of greater intercessory prayer. Number one, make a list. Now, this is so simple, but it's something so many of us never do. Make a list of the people in your life that you want to lift up to God on some kind of regular basis. And make sure the most difficult people in your life show up on that list. Start the list today by listing all the people you're having a hard time loving. And then list everybody else that in a typical week you'd love to lift up to God. And then just divide that list by seven if you want to pray every day. Or six if you want to pray six days. Or five if you want to pray five days. And every day lift up a different part of that list to God. So number one, create a list. Number two, practice listening. Become a good listener. Because as you listen to people talk to you or to other people, whether that's here in the hallways, whether it's in the office, workplace, whether it's at home, people will share things as they're talking that you can lift up to God in prayer. And then you can go back to them and say, hey, the other day you were talking about the difficulty that your mom is having. I just want you to know, I lifted that up in prayer for you. How's that going? Listen. And also listen to God. A very moving experience can be to take the name of one person and just sit in a quiet place and to say, God, I want to lift up to you Mary Jane. Would you help me know in what way I should be in prayer for her? And then listen. There may not be an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit may move within your heart and your mind to recall things about Mary Jane, to know things about Mary Jane that you then lift up in prayer. So be a good listener, number two. Number three, practice what I call flash prayers. Flash prayers. As you move throughout the day, you're often interacting with people, sometimes in very brief interactions, sometimes in much longer interactions. And a great habit to develop is after those conversations are done, after those interactions have finished, silently say a prayer of intercession for the person you've just been in interaction with. As you move throughout the day, you can be in constant intercessory prayer for people around you. And this especially goes for those people that bump into you and cause friction during the day. Practice flash 
prayers. A few years ago in Nashville, I met a woman named Kim. She was living in Nashville. Her two boys were going to school there. and She shared this story. Her marriage had broken up. Her, her husband had become abusive and, and things just ended badly. She had to get out of the marriage. She was living in Alabama at the time, and a friend had given her a small house in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, to live in. She was trying to get up to Nashville, to move to Nashville, to be closer to her boys. And so uh, one day she took a trip to Nashville from Huntsville and did some house hunting, apartment looking, and trying to find out where she might be able to move. She didn't have a lot of resources, single mother now with two boys in, in college. While she was in Nashville, she got a call on her phone, she didn't recognize the number, she answered it. It was the police back in Huntsville. And unfortunately, her house had been broken into. And the, the police said that, that most of her stuff was, was gone, and they needed her to return to Huntsville and try to identify the possessions that had been taken. So just brokenhearted, she left Nashville, traveled back to Huntsville, by the time she got back to Huntsville, the, the police had found the individual who had taken her stuff. Turned out that he lived just a few doors down from her and in the garage. Thankfully, were most of the items that he had taken out of the house. He was arrested. And then the next day or so, there was a knock on Kim's door there in Huntsville. And she answered the door. There's a woman there that she didn't recognize at all. She explained that she was the wife of the man who had broken into her home and taken all of her things, and she expressed sorrow for what had happened. She tried to explain that her husband had lost his job a few weeks ago and was desperate to try to take care of their family, and it was out of that desperation that that he had broken into her house and, and stolen things from her to try to make ends meet. And so she asked, she said, my husband would like to meet you face to face. Would you be open to that? And so Kim said, yes. Not long after that, the, the man posted bond and he was out. And so he dropped by Kim's house and he expressed great remorse for what he had done. And he said, I, I know that I will have to face the legal consequences of what I have done. There's no way around that. But, but could you find it in your heart to forgive me? And Kim said, I want three things from you. Number one, I want you to fix the door that you bashed in when you broke in the house. Because my friend and I are going to have to sell this house and we can't sell it with a broken front door. Would, would you fix the door? And yes, he agreed to that. Second, she said, I want you and your wife to go see a movie on me. It's called The Prayer Room. It's a movie about prayer. So she pulled money out of her wallet and gave it to him. And she said, this is enough for two tickets to The Prayer Room. And third, she said, do you see all this stuff? By that time, the police and she had moved all the possessions out of his garage, back into the house. They were all 
stacked in a pile there along with several other boxes where she'd been packing up possessions in anticipation of a move to Nashville. And she said, you see all these things? Yes. She said, the house where I'm going to move into in Nashville is probably going to be a very tiny house, very small apartment. I'm not going to have room for most of this stuff. I want you and your wife to have it. And at that, he, he broke down and, and he wept. And, and he said, how is that even possible? How could you do something like that? And she simply said, grace. That's what grace is all about. That's the kind of people that God is desiring us to be in the world. The people who meet up with the worst of circumstances the world can throw at them and who respond with limitless love. How do we get to that point? It starts by being people of prayer. The more we pray for people with our lips, the more we'll begin to love them with our lives. May God bless you as you seek that same transformation in your own life. May He help you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. We would love to have the opportunity to be in prayer for you this morning. As we stand and sing, you can come to the front and share those prayer requests with us. Let's stand and sing together. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or